911, what's your emergency? Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the PIO Podcast, a forum for all things public information related for police, fire, EMS, local government, and federal government. A place to learn, grow, and develop your public information skills. I am your host, Robert Tornabeni. I have over 12 years of experience as a PIO and 27 years as a law enforcement officer. Each episode, we will explore different aspects of the public information officer field. To contact the show, email robert at piotoolkit.com. We need your feedback on how we're doing. Please rate us on whatever platform you listen to or send us a review via email. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to get notified on the latest episodes. Thank you for listening to the PIO podcast. And now, a message from our sponsors. Want to level up your comm skills? Find it hard to get in-person training or get the budget? Our academy has content for every type of PIO, created by PIOs. Affordable and flexible, you're sure to find the course for you. Subscribe now by heading to www.piotoolkit.com and find your next career development opportunity. Good afternoon. Today on the PIO Podcast, I'd like to welcome Leslie Gervasio. She is the Senior Public Engagement Specialist at Michael Baker International. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. So I'm sure our guests, I'm sure our, our listeners would like to know, they'd like to hear about your background first. So let's talk about that. How did you get into the whole field? Yeah, so it's actually an interesting story. When I graduated from college, I actually was a newspaper reporter for a couple of years in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And after covering, you know, some aspects of 9-11 and some other, you know, things, I just realized that it wasn't going to be a long-term, um, you know, thing for me and that really my passion lied in government. And that was my second major in college. So, you know, after having covered lots of local and school school board meetings and local governments and all, I made the leap to um, state government. I went and worked at, on, at Pennsylvania's capital in various capacities. Um, I worked for the House. I worked for a state agency. I worked for a governor. And then um, more recently, I spent a decade with the Pennsylvania State Association of Boroughs. Um, and then more recently, I did come to Michael Baker International. You know, we're an engineering firm, but they saw the need for, you know, a public engagement, community engagement initiative. So that's what I do now. I work with state and municipal governments on public and community engagement initiatives. And, you know, I would also say that, you know, in between all of that, I spent four years as a Main Street manager in the city of Allentown in Pennsylvania. Um, and really, you know, that was just life-changing for me. It was helping to really revitalize a core downtown area. I mean, obviously that involved a lot of communication, public engagement processes, working with businesses. So, you know, I've had a diverse background, um, but, you know, it's something that I love. And it does tend to be for the people that are in this field, they, they, they do it for love, not for Mm -hmm. pretty much anything else, because we all know we're not getting rich doing this. Nope, (laughs) we are not. All right, so let's first talk about the National Association of Government Communicators. So how long have you been with the association? 
I've been a member of the association for about four years and I've been on the board for about three. Okay. So what positions have you held with the board before? Cause you are the president elect now, correct? Yes. Uh, I was honored to be chosen by our membership to be the next president elect. So I will serve for two years in that capacity before taking over the reins in two years. And prior to that, I served as the marketing director. Okay, so challenging thing, a marketing director for a government communicators association. Yes, and during the pandemic, which was even more unique, you know, you talk about doing more with less, we really had to hone in everything. But, you know, I had a great uh, partner in our communications director. Um, We, you know, in tandem, really closely aligned everything, refined our brand, um, and we really tailored, you know, what our marketing efforts would be through social media platforms and, you know, other entities. And, you know, we saw that our membership really, you know, grew during that time because they saw the need that it was a changing time for communicators in, you know, the government sector and, you know, really relied on us to, you know, provide that guidance and support that they needed. And it's an interesting thing that the pandemic really, you really had to teach communicators how to deal with not just having, you know, putting a newsletter out about an event, but actually hosting a virtual event. Yes. And we did that for the first time a couple of years ago and it, you know, it was one of our most popular events and people really needed it. And even, you know, the presentations, people were coming out of the woodwork with presentations that hadn't been done before. And, you know, it just felt like a really good event. Um, people were really, you know, doing the virtual networking, we're really bonding with each other. And really, it came at the right time for us. Yeah, could we say a pandemic ever came at the right time, right? <laughs> so Leslie, what are your goals as the president for the association? Yeah. So, you know, I think right now the focus is on creating a unique membership experience for all of our members and also, you know, ensuring that their professional development needs are being met. So, you know, we're really focused on that. We're really refining, you know, the communication school that's held each year, um, you know, our monthly programming, uh, our webinars. And, you know, and I think we're also looking to, you know, grow our membership with, um, you know, the less seasoned professionals out there, the ones that are looking for that guidance and support and kind of, you know, mentoring them and coaching them and, you know, finding them opportunities for that peer development that that is needed. Really, let's go back to like the NAGC. What type of, who are the members of the association? Yeah, so it's a really diverse membership from across the country. We even have members in Guam. um, And at one point we had membership in you know, Canada and Alaska. So it's been really diverse. We represent all levels of government, local, um, county, state, tribal, federal. We represent military communicators and consultants who serve, um, you know, these entities. Okay. So it's pretty much, it's a really big smattering of everything. It is. Yes, it is. As somebody that's been in this field for quite a while and somebody that sits on a board now, where do you see our current challenges for government communicators right now? Oh, yeah, I think, you know, I think there's a few. I think, you know, combating disinformation is always one. I think we're challenged more than ever with that. And I think obviously that's been impacted by, you know, social media. Everybody has to be first or everybody's battling, you know, the other outlets for communication. And, you know, for us, it's, you know, what is the message that needs to be seen and needs to be heard? And, you know, sometimes it's it's a challenge when you put the message out there and somebody else is saying the opposite thing in the same platform. So I think, you know, disinformation is just, 
critical. Um, I think too, obviously budgets and staffing doing more with less um, is continues to be a challenge. Um, I think there's some misconception out there, as you pointed out earlier, that, you know, government communicators are, you know, the wealthiest bunch in the world and that agencies are, you know, fraught with all this money. And in fact, you know, unfortunately, marketing and communications budgets are oftentimes the first that get cut, you know, and I do think I do get concerned too about burnout, because I think we've all been there at some point where, you know, these jobs are not nine to five jobs, they're not eight to five, they're not eight to six, you know, you're on call on evenings and weekends, sometimes, um, you know, when you're handling, you know, public meetings, crisis mode, um, you know, national landscape issues. So it really is, you know, a challenging time for uh, communicators. Okay, so let me uh, let me throw this at you. So, the disinformation issue right now. Before communicators in the past, you know, they put something out about it could be anything. Uh, let's let's talk about like a, a new business in town that mm-hmm. might or might not have a country. Let's pick like a gun range. Mm-hmm. That, that could be very controversial depending on where you are in the in the country and that its location. And in the past, it would go out, and then you would have those people show up at board meetings and complain about it and so on. But now you have that whole sector that works in in the the internet scape and the and mm-hmm. the the unknown where they put information out. How as a government communicator do we how are they gonna how do they need to monitor that or what do they use to monitor that? Well, one thing I would say is I think, you know, everybody was kind of scared of the virtual world. And I think for me, the experience was that the virtual world really helped our local governments in Pennsylvania anyway, and our state agencies really engage. You were able, by doing things virtually, able to attract more people who might have not been able to engage before because, you know, they had kids or they were out of town for work or whatever. But at a click of a button, they were able to, you know, hone into, you know, a Zoom meeting or, you know, uh, to hear a public meeting or be a part of that process. And I think a lot of governments got more sophisticated in the information they put out there and how they put it out there. Um, You know, I think I saw a lot of websites updated. I saw a lot of social media that maybe hadn't been used before really streamlined and utilized the way it should be. And I saw like people really developing their in refining who they communicated with, you know, reporters with um, their audiences. Like I just saw a lot of cleanup efforts that maybe hadn't been a focus before. And maybe part of that was because people couldn't travel for work and, you know, needed projects to do and just realized that, Hey, this is what we need to do to be able to communicate. But, you know, I think there's a lot of approaches and it's obviously not the same in every, you know, for every entity in every state Um, it, it varies, but that is my experience. Okay. So I want to talk about a Ring Central blog, and and I and this was uh, the top five citizen communication challenges for government agencies. So there were five factors in there, and and w- picking one of these challenges, and I'll read them all off. Which one do you think um, may be addressed with the least amount of financial burden on an agency? Um, the okay. first one is digital innovation gap between government entities and private sector. The second is lack of cross-platform access for citizen outreach, poor response levels and inefficiencies, lack of citizen engagement due to poor information sharing, and inequitable distribution of and access to information. So which one would you say would be the least burden of, to, a, to an agency? Least financially burdensome, yes. I would say probably would be the lack of a cross-platform access for citizen outreach. Um, I think that, 
you know, the infrastructure is there. It's, you know, how do you connect everybody and making sure that you're communicating across a diverse platform. A lot of times the content's already there, but it's how you place it and where you place it. So, you know, I think all of these, you know, again, going back to, you know, marketing and communication budgets, they're all important. And I think, um, you know, and I do think too, you know, the broadband access is improving in areas that hadn't been, you know, accessible before. So I think that that's going to help across a broad range. I think we're going to see that, you know, country wide. Um, I don't think it's going to be in the next year or two. It's going to be over a period, you know, five to seven years, but I think it is happening and that's going to change everything. Um, in Pennsylvania, we have, it's mostly rural state outside of like Pittsburgh and Philly and a few, you know, cities here and there. We have a very rural state and, you know, we call it the T part of the state across the Northern tier down the middle, very rural, very challenged by the lack of broadband. And we're really excited with a lot of the broadband um, access that, you know, is being expanded right now. Let's take a quick break. Hi, I'm Dr. Miranda Melcher, host of the Just Access podcast. We bring you amazing interviews from the world of human rights and access to justice, from Dunja Miatovic, Council of Europe Commissioner for Human Rights, to Liz Evenson, International Justice Director at Human Rights Watch. Whether you're a law student or legal professional, human rights activist, or just want to stay up to date on what's happening with the world, The Just Access podcast is your go-to for inspirational stories and fascinating discussions about the state of human rights today. Search for Just Access on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We need to take a break right now so we can take care of some business. Visit go.lawpublications.net forward slash law digital to schedule a free demo. And now back to the show. Okay. I'm going to talk about one more. So uh, actually it would be the lack of cross-platform access for citizen outreach. I wanted to go into that. What do you think about the whole accessible? Well, it, yeah, it would be accessibility. So accessibility for those people like hearing impaired or visually impaired, and using and making sure that you have alt text in photos and in descriptions so that and I think that's what a lot of government communicators, I still see this lack in a lot of what they do. Absolutely. It was something actually I was talking about in a meeting today where we were preparing, you know, a presentation and, you know, that comes into account. You know, I know, again, in Pennsylvania, a lot of state agencies do have the standards, but it's making sure that people have, you know, the ability, they know what they're doing. Um, and if not providing them the training and also, you know, making sure that they have the time to do that, because some of that, it's not so much time intensive, but it's, is it done or is it done well? You know, um, there's a, you know, I've seen things where people get a little sloppy and they'll just put like picture with a person instead of a little more description. So, you know, I do think when you want to do things and say, you're really trying to communicate with diverse audiences or meet the need of the underserved, you really need to make sure you're doing it right. So. All right. So in today's day of the more modern person, the young people that have the TikToks and all the other platforms, and then our age group is, is we still have a very age older community in the, in the country. Mm-hmm. How do we reach out to them as government communicators? Cause it seems like we're all going to digital in one way, shape or another. How do we 
address that? Yeah, I think it's a bunch of things. I think, you know, I mean, I know, you know, I'm on Facebook and for me personally, I use Facebook, you know, for my personal, um, you know, communication and I use LinkedIn and Twitter for my news and for my, you know, professional stuff. But I think, you know, there are a lot of older people who are using, you know, Facebook and they're getting their news from Twitter. And, you know, a lot of these older people weren't able to see family for two or three years. And so they really learn to get connected, um, you know, to those platforms. Um, so I think, you know, you, I think it is realizing that they're on there, but also that, how you message, you don't message the same on every platform. So making sure the message is tailored. I do think, you know, in my field, public engagement is key, you know, community engagement. I know they're not interchangeable, but people sometimes do interchange them. Um, you know, I think that that is a crucial um, aspect of it. Um, and I do think that, you know, making sure that things are public, they're on your website, there are multiple places, they're on your website, there's something in your newsletter or, you know, that you have a texting platform or you have an email system. And I think if people know about it, I think that they're, you know, I think to your point, yes, everybody, you know, most of our country is older, but I think that they're using it. It's just making sure that they know how to use it. Okay. So that becomes a whole nother <laughs> area of responsibility is getting them, showing them how to mm -hmm. do it. I think so it's either how to videos or community meetings where you actually just walk them. Through. Yeah, I think so. And I'm, you know, I think, you know, again, just in my experience, I think a lot of people, you know, were frustrated sometimes by technology because they don't know how to use it. But once you get them over that hurdle, they get excited about it. And also realizing like, I don't think, you know, grandma's going to necessarily use TikTok, but that's for a different audience that you have. And that goes back to, again, cutting the budgets and making sure that your staff, because when you have to communicate to so many diverse audiences, that's a, you know, that's a lot of work. Um, and I know that, you know, a lot of social media um, stuff gets merged under the communications person or the marketing or the PIO. Um, and really it should be its dedicated position for that. Yep. I agree with you hundred percent on that. All right. So uh, Leslie, what would you, what would you like our listeners to take away from the interview today? Oh, so much. I'd like them to, um, be invited to reach out to me if they'd like to learn more about NAGC. You know, um, even if you just want to have a chat, you're not sure what we're about, um, you want to know more, I'm happy to chat. Or if you visit our website, NAGC.com, and contact one of our board members, any one of us would be happy to, you know, connect with you to, you know, help you on your journey. And just realize that, you know, government communicators have their own secret, like little pact and bond, and we're all here for one another. So I think we all have something to offer each other and resources. So whether it's on LinkedIn or, you know, um, organizations that you belong to professionally in your communities or your state or nationally, making sure that you use them. Because when I ran into, you know, where I was at a point where I needed some, you know, just professional development and mentorship, that's when I found NAGC. It fell in my lap and it was, you know, the best decision that I made, you know, for me. Right. I, I agree with you. You know, if, if people forget to use those association and networks, they're, they're really, they're, they're really handicapping mm -hmm. themselves in a sense. I and I'll give you a great example. Um, a, a very good friend of mine is, was the primary PIO on the incident that occurred in Highland Park in Illinois uh, last week and over the 4th of July. And another PIO that is in an agency from about 60 miles away went to assist him 
and they didn't that, that community did not have a PIO, but they brought in the specialist from the county, and then this other person came along to back them up, and it wasn't because you know, it, it was agreed upon. It's just something that you just do. Well, and to that point, you know, um, we have a colleague who she just left the board, but she was our education director for a while. She works for FEMA and she goes out and handles a lot of the crises that occur. And one thing that she and I had talked about that no one thinks about in some of those situations is the mental health of, you know, the person that's responding, the spokesperson, the, you know, the elected officials and just the burden it puts, you know, on them. So, you know, it's when you have to tell a story like that and be on call and respond, you're not thinking about your mental health. And she said to me, you had to hold it together and hold your emotions in, and then you leave. And it's like, then what do you do? It's almost, you know, you're in a personal crisis mode. So how do you manage that? And I think that that's critical and something, you know, that we all um, need to consider. And that ties into burnout, that ties into, you know, frustration and how you present your work. So there's lots of things that go into it. That's an interesting aspect. I think I'm going to have to look into somebody that I'd like to talk to about on the, for the podcast about dealing with the stress, Mm -hmm. but the post-stress of that and, and that what it does to the communicator. So thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate that. (laughs) All right, so we're going to lighten this up a little bit and go to some rapid-fire questions. These will be pretty easy for you. Texting or talking? Talking. Place you most want to travel to? Venice. Coffee or tea? Neither. I'm caffeine-free. Ooh. Double-dipping at a party, is it ever acceptable? Not unless you're a party of one. (laughs) Drink your drink of choice. I'm tie. Invisibility or super strength? Super strength. Who inspires you? I've been inspired by so many people um, in my life. You know, my mom, um, for some of the things she went through and professionally, um, you know, and I get inspired, not necessarily communications related, but I'm an animal welfare advocate and I get inspired by all the rescues um, and just what they go through. And, you know, so I know that's a little broad, not quick, but that's your answer. (laughs) That's perfect. That's fine. Um, a must-read book for, in your mind. I read it every year or when I need motivation. Uh, the Seven uh, Habits of Highly Effective People. Oh, Stephen mm-hmm. Covey. Yeah, nice. Uh, name something you would eat for a week straight. Spaghetti. Ask permission or beg forgiveness. Beg forgiveness, always. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> All right, Leslie, anything you'd like to add? No, I'd like to thank you for having me and allowing the opportunity to talk about NAGC and, you know, kind of the changing landscape of communications. Um, You know, I don't really have much else to add. Again, I just encourage people to reach out if they have questions. Okay, so here's your plug again. How can people best reach out to you if they want to connect or follow up? Yeah, so my email is kind of long, so I'll just tell you to go to nagc.com and go on the board page and contact me there. And I'm super active on LinkedIn, so find me there, Leslie Gervasio, and I'd be happy to connect. And I will make sure all of that gets into the show notes along with the website address and okay, all that. Okay, perfect. But thank you for having me. Leslie, thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate thank you. it. Law Publications is your department's one-stop solution for quality resources to amplify your community outreach efforts. Our product catalog includes books, flyers, coloring books, social media assets, and swag 
giving your team the variety of tools they need to respond to any situation. Best of all, our books are customizable with your department's name and or program is free of charge to departments through support from your local business community, helping to connect your department's work within your community. Visit go.lawpublications.net forward slash podcast to learn more about our products and process today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to get notified of the latest episode. If you are listening on a platform that allows reviews, please give us a review. We appreciate any review, good or bad. It helps us improve on each episode. Until next time, be safe.